Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors and over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. is Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. Hey, good afternoon. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we typically take your calls and answer your questions about the things you care the most about. We talk about God. We talk about the historical Jesus. We talk about the Bible. We talk about world religions like Catholicism and Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism and Judaism and secularism and the New Age. We talk about the past, which includes topics of history, and we talk about the future, which includes topics of prophecy. But we've set aside typically Tuesday as a kind of tough question Tuesday. And of course, today, October 31st is Halloween. And as you can imagine, many people are celebrating Halloween. And and so on this tough question Tuesday, you know, we can talk a little bit about the origins of Halloween. We could talk a little bit about should Christians celebrate Halloween. One of the things I want to talk about also has to do with Gaza. And I want to talk a little bit about the history of Gaza. And I want to talk specifically about Gaza's long Jewish history which I think you're going to find fascinating. But again, if you want to join me on the program, it's really easy to do. You pick up the phone and you dial the number 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935. And of course, producer Blake will ask you, well, hey, what's your question or what's your comment or what would you like to say? Um, then by all means... All you have to do is just call that number, 303-873-1935, and um, we'll make every effort to get your question on the program. So obviously, um, on the origins of Halloween, um, whatever the history and origins of Halloween, Halloween is celebrated a lot of different ways by a lot of different cultures around the world. One of the things that uh, before we came on the air, uh, producer Blake and I were talking about Dia de los Muertos, which is uh, Spanish for the Day of the Dead, which is which is celebrated, if you will, from October 31st to November 2nd. So traditionally, it was known as All Hallows Eve when the dead were to be remembered. 
And so there's different ways of thinking about this subject. Um, I think there's a difference between contacting the dead, remembering the dead, celebrating the dead. So over time, Halloween became a cultural manifestation. For Americans, obviously, it's, it's extremely commercialized. Most kids growing up after the 1960s didn't think of it as a day to honor the dead, but a day to dress up in a costume, go door to door, and get as much candy as possible. So we begin to see Halloween decorations in stores months in advance. And unfortunately, the emphasis on this commercialized holiday has shifted from, you know, dressing up as a princess or dressing up as a pirate. Um, Producer Blake, did you hear that someone was dressing up as Joe Biden? Oh. He pooped his pants and he just mumbles. (laughs) Hopefully they got depends. Yeah. So, well, then the shift became... And again, I, I, I sort of get it where people, in order to deal with their fear of death or or demons or ghosts, they sort of take this sort of dark, what I would call an unhealthy preoccupation. So as you can imagine, things become a little bit more evil. Things become a little bit more gross and hideous and pagan. And so we could ask a different question about Satan um, has undoubtedly made this commercialized holiday into something that he subtly focuses on, maybe not so subtly, that is ugly and demonic. So what are, uh, so what are the origins of Halloween? Many people believe the festival of Samhain. Now, it's pronounced sow like cow, but it's spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N. Samhain, um, they believe it has its beginnings in the Celtic New Year. At Samhain, farmers would bring in their livestock from summer pastures, and people gathered to build shelters for the winter. And then the festival also had religious significance. People would burn fruits and vegetables and grain and possibly animals as offerings to the gods. So in ancient Celtic stories, Samhain was a magical time of transition when important battles were fought and fairies cast spells. It was believed by the Celts that this was one of those days where a portal was opened between two worlds, between the supernatural world and the natural world. So, again, it was the time they believed when the natural and the supernatural barriers were broken. And so the Celts believed that the dead could walk among the living at this time. And so there was this window when when the dead could come back and visit the living. And so during Samhain, in these visitations, there were those who believed that these in these visitations that the dead held secrets to the future. And so the idea or the desire to know the future is a long-standing human desire. 
And so scholars believe that Halloween's association with ghosts and food and fortune-telling began with those pagan customs more than 2,000 years ago. And so many of the customs of the pagan Celts survived even after the people became what you and I might be called Christianized or are they socially or culturally um, or or religiously became cultural Christians, if you will. So in the 800s AD, the church established what's called All Saints Day on November 1st. And about 200 years later, it added All Souls Day on November 2nd. And so this day was set aside for people to pray for friends and family who had died. And so people made many of the old pagan customs part of the Christian holy day. And some people would put out food for their ancestors. And by the way, that ancestor worship is common in East in the Eastern world, in China and in Japan. So the, the, the practice of putting out food for ancestors or lantern burning in the window so that ghosts could find their way home for the night. And so through the years, various regions of Europe developed their own Halloween customs. In Wales, for example, each person put a white stone near the Halloween fire at night and then checked in the morning to see whether the stone was still there. If it was the person would get to live for another year. So can you imagine the ultimate Halloween prank was to take the stone and scare the heebie-jeebies out of people? So in the United States, the origins of Halloween start with the early settlers. When, when early American settlers came from England, many of them brought various beliefs about ghosts and witches. In the 1800s, many immigrants from Ireland and Scotland arrived and introduced Halloween traditions, including the tradition of carving pumpkins. And German immigrants brought witchcraft lore, Haitian and African people brought native voodoo, cats, fire, and witchcraft. So that's just a little tiny peek at the origins of Halloween. 94.7 FM, the word. This is Crosswalk with Gino Teresi. I think Penny Lane... Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program on Tough Question Tuesday. So I guess I need to tell you, well, and give you permission to call 303-873-1938. 303, not 38. I gave them the wrong number. 303-873-1938. 1935 it's 1935-303-873-1935 and so I talked a little bit about the origins of Halloween and and uh, but one of the things I wanted to talk a little bit about was um, Gaza and the relationship of the Jewish people to Gaza. Um, 
there were times, there was a time in history where there were synagogues in Gaza. There was a yeshiva in Gaza where, where Jewish people gathered together and practiced Judaism. There were ancient Jewish Gazan villages. And so the way we think about it in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 23... The area of Gaza has been inhabited for a very, very long time, even pre-biblical times. So 4,000 years ago, during the time of the Jewish patriarch Jacob, it was inhabited by a tribe that was known as the Avim, Avim, who dwelt in unwalled cities until Gaza, it says in, in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 23. So the Avim, that means they dwelled in unwalled cities. And when, so when Jacob divided the land of Israel between his 12 sons, Gaza was allocated to the tribe of Judah and his descendants. And by the way, who's the most famous descendant of Judah? Well, the Jesus is the most famous descendant of Judah. David was a descendant of Judah. Now, the tribe of Judah didn't live in Gaza. It eventually passed into Canaanite hands, and then it was colonized by Egypt as a kind of an outpost for the Egyptian empire. And so in the 13th century B.C., there were a group of Greek sailors who attacked and sacked Anatolia and Cyprus and Syria before attacking Egypt. Now, some people, some, some scholars are torn. They're, they wonder if these are Greek sailors or if they were Phoenician sailors. But the earliest mention of this group is recorded inside of a mortuary temple of Ramesses III in Egypt. And King Ramesses repulsed the would-be invaders and then encouraged them. So they, they were like pirates. Now, Anatolia's ancient Turkey, Cyprus, of course, the island, Syria, um, which is going to be the place of Damascus. So the Egyptians basically encouraged these guys to settle in Gaza. And they called themselves, in Hebrew, Plishtim, or Philistines. And so the Philistines differed greatly from the Israelites who inhabited the area. They, they adopted some local customs, like the Philistines continued to worship Greek gods. They also, according to uh, archaeological remains in the area during the time of the Philistines, they had a heavy diet of uh, pig and dog. So they've literally found pig bones and dog bones that the Philistines ate back in those days. But but Philistines built five cities in a political union called Ashkelon, Ashdod, Gath, and Ekron, all in modern-day Israel plus Gaza. And so the ancient Greeks called the area Philistia, and it later would evolve into the Greek name Palestine. 
and then Gaza became an outpost of Greek culture within ancient Judea. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. Let's see who's up. Justin, welcome to the program. Thank you. Hey, you're welcome. How can I yeah, help you? So I was just, yeah, I was just uh, listening to the last segment. I had a theory that I just wanted to share. Okay. And that was if the uh, if All Hallows' Eve is supposed to be the time of the year where uh, – the two realms, the layer between the two realms is the thinnest. Wouldn't that be when God came into the world, thus being Jesus' birthday? And also how the wise men gave gifts at, uh, to Jesus. Wouldn't that be symbolic to giving out candy, thus making a mockery of Jesus' birthday? Well, to your point, um, your first point is very interesting, and and that is... When is the thinnest line between the natural and the supernatural? And I think a, a, a robust case could be made that Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus, uh, the natural and the supernatural meet. Um, yeah, the mystery of the incarnation is is interesting. But to the to the question of is there good evidence? that Jesus was born on October 31st. And the way that I would answer that question is October 31st as a calendar year doesn't exist in Jewish culture. J- J- the Jews had a lunar calendar and the, the, the Romans had a, a, a solar ca- calendar. The Egyptians also had a solar calendar. And so the way that they would reckon time um, would be very, very different. So to, to the point of is there good evidence that Jesus was born on Halloween, my, my position would be there's no evidence whatsoever. There, there, he is born. Jesus comes into the world. Clearly he does. Does he come in on December 25th or October 31st? Um, my position would be I, there, I, I don't have concrete evidence of a day, although there's an interesting argument for December 25th that's been made throughout the years. So to your point about him being born on October 31st, I don't see the evidence. Does the giving out of candy to pervert and distort the birth of Jesus, um, is that the reason why people give out treats on, on Halloween? I, I, don't, I, I don't think so. I don't think that, that the cultural expression of Halloween was intended to try to pervert, distort, or make a mockery of of Jesus. That, but that okay, goes to a different. But but that gives a different kind of a of, of a question about um, celebration. And so, I, I guess the way I would actually sort of engage your what your thoughts are, and that is almost everything. Almost everything makes a mockery of Jesus and his birth. Um, um, Almost everything that that stands in in rebellion and disobedience against God. So so to me, um, if I were to use woke terminology, like, you know, people talk about systemic racism and stuff like that. I think that there's systemic idolatry and systemic 
rebellion against God, that that's the real human condition, that the real human condition is its antagonism and rebellion against God that manifests itself in a number of ways. And I think a good case could be made um, in the pagan expressions of Halloween. Okay, very good. Thank you for taking my call and listening to my thoughts. The no, only no, thing it's that very interesting. Is, yeah, that's what I thought, too. The only thing else I would consider is when uh, Mary and Joseph were traveling to do the census, or was it to pay their taxes? I don't recall. Now, back to Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. And again, as a caller called in and, and uh, pointed out, and I that today is also Reformation Day. And so what does that mean? What is Reformation Day? And I, I talked a little bit about it yesterday. Reformation Day is a Protestant religious holiday that's celebrated today, and it recognizes the day that the German monk Martin Luther posted the 95 Theses on the door of the Wittenberg Church in 1517. And for many, many historians, this sort of commemorates the official point of the Protestant, dare I use the word revolution, but um, Protestants are more happy using the term reformation. So officially, Reformation Day began in 1567, and the impact on the Protestant Reformation, I think, is global because for many, many people, it marks the beginning of religious freedom. And so from Germany, the Protestant Reformation expanded throughout Europe. It influenced people like John Calvin in Geneva, Ulrich Zwingli in Zurich, John Knox in Scotland. Um, the, and then the Reformation Luther led also sparked what was called the Anabaptist or the Free Church Movement and the English Reformation. And so these movements in turn influenced the spread of Christianity to the Americas around the world and where European exploration took place in South Africa, India, Australia, New Zealand. Um, but also it sort of uh, launched the worldwide mission program. And uh, so Robert Rothwell said, quote, Today, Luther's legacy lives on in the creeds and confessions of Protestant bodies worldwide. As we consider his importance, this Reformation Day, let us equip ourselves to be knowledgeable proclaimers and defenders of biblical truth. May we be eager to preach the gospel of God to the world and thereby spark a new reformation of the church and culture, unquote. So the Reformation Day becomes a sort of a rallying point for everyone who chooses to follow Jesus by faith according to his word. And so from that perspective, it commemorates the actions of a man who is willing to stand against the ideas of his day. So what what were some of those ideas of his day? Um, what were what was Martin Luther protesting, if you will? Um, 
And of course, one of the major issues that Luther was concerned about when he tapped that that list on the wall or on the on the Wittenberg door. Now, again, it wasn't an act of rebellion, by the way. Um, the the way to think about it, you know how uh, places at work or sometimes in a community they have a bulletin board. Well, in in medieval times, the bulletin board was the church door. So if you wanted to know what was going on in the community, you would post it on the door to let everyone know. And so one of the major issues that Luther had to contend with was the Roman Catholic church official selling of what's called indulgences. So they would sell indulgences to people as a means of releasing their loved one from purgatory. So an indulgence was sold. So so here's the idea. In, in Roman Catholic theology, if you have a mortal sin, you go to hell. If you have a venial sin, the stain of sin is on your soul, and you wind up in purgatory. And so a purgatory was a place where... Um, you would be purged of your sin. So the Roman Catholic would argue that the people in purgatory are saved, but they have to go through a time of purgation. And it was said of a very famous person named Tetzel. He said he coined a slogan, as soon as the penny jingles in the money box, the soul flies out of purgatory. And Luther felt that the church officials were teaching people that they could literally buy their way into the kingdom of God or buy their way out of purgatory. And his belief was that the papacy had deteriorated to the point that people were being led to believe not just man-made doctrines, but lies. So that's part of the point. 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up um, is it Greg? Yes. Greg, welcome to the program. Hey, Gino. Hey, real quick. Uh, at lunch today, I was uh, having my Bible study, and uh, I was in Romans 11, and of course, that's where it talks about, you know, Paul's address to the Gentiles and God's mercy for the Israelites and how he grafted, you know, uh, the Gentiles into the family of God. Sure. But then in verse, tw- then in verse 22... He he goes on to say, but if you quit trusting as well, God will cut you off. And so I've always been a once saved, always saved guy. But what does that mean? I think in that the, verse twenty two. Yeah, so so let's talk about that and its context, because I think that it's a corporate thing. So so in verse twenty one, to your point, for if God did not spare the natural branches, that's the Jews. He will certainly not spare you either. That's the Gentiles. He says, Uh take notice, therefore, of the kindness and severity of God. Severity to those who fell, but kindness to you Gentiles. If you continue in his kindness, if the Gentiles will believe the gospel, uh, repent of their sin, trust Christ. What if the Gentiles don't? Otherwise, you'll also be cut off. And if they do not persist, okay. and if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. So, so now we're talking collectively. So, if the Jew says we were wrong, Jesus uh-huh. is the Lord. 
So, so imagine, can a Jew be saved? What do you think the answer is? Of course. Of course. What will happen if corporately and collectively there's a massive revival among Jewish people who come to the realization that Jesus is in fact the Jewish Messiah? Then the Jews are grafted back in. Right. What happens if the Gentiles collectively, which they have, by the way, if they go, "We, we don't want the God of the Bible. We don't want the Jesus in the Bible. We don't want you to tell us about our sin or that we need a savior. What happens collectively to the nations that decide that God was wrong about Jesus and they've decided they're not going to follow him? Well, they'll be well, cut off. That's right. That's exactly right. So, so here, I, I guess... Go ahead. So I don't, so I don't think it's a, a powerful argument for a lack of assurance. So, as you can imagine, what we do is we take clear verses in order to understand unclear verses. So, what's right. what's the clear verse? The clear verse is in 1 John chapter 5, in verse 11, where it says, and this is the testimony, that God has given us, that means I think the Gentiles, but I think it means Jew and Gentile, eternal life. And this right. life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. And he says, right. these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the right. name of the I- son of God. The The implication being there might be people who toy with the idea that the gospel's not true and that the invitation is not really true. And my view is if you hold that position where you go, hey, you know what? What if what if the invitation's not true? What if I, I can't be saved? What if Jesus really isn't the Lord and I can't be saved? Well, then you can't be saved. Right. I guess the reason why I, I was asking this question is because I just assumed that Paul was addressing Gentile Christians. No. And so I'm thinking, if he's, he's addressing Gentile Christians, what's he saying here then? <laughs> so that's what I, made me Yeah, think. I think he's addressing Gentiles. Turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525.